Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. I said the beginning of it was, this has been a long time coming, dot, dot, dot. Mm. And it was just like the whole truth bomb of like uh, cannabis and HG pregnancy. And this is what I went through. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Welcome back to the Cannamom Show. So happy you're joining us again today. So Dave, we have a big international show today. Mm. The guest mm. the guest table is full today, which is great. Full, full, full. So in addition to our guest who is joining us from Canada, we will also be speaking with another Canadian. Dr. Lisa Skitalski, and we'll be speaking with an Israeli who's now in Germany, I believe, Yal Marcus. So mm-hmm. just a quick intro. We'll be talking to them in about a half hour. Lisa is an internationally renowned author and editor-in-chief of Cannabis Jew magazine. You love my Jewish cannabis connection. I know. Um, I know. How uh, she joined us today from Canada, like I said, and Yal is an experienced brand and business development professional who... Four years ago, she relocated to Israel to fulfill her dream to be part of the global medical cannabis wellness industry. She lived on kibbutz kibbutz near Oz with her partner um, until, of course, their community was brutally attacked on October 7th. And she's here to talk about cannabis advocacy work with the medical marijuana industry and how they actually work in Israel. And we're going to talk about some calls to action because without Israel, the cannabis industry would be a very different place. 
Is the cannabis Jewish connection the new the new Jewish geography? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> JCC. I'm going to a. This is kind of off topic, but I'm going to MJ Biz in a couple of weeks, and I've been hooking up with Jews and Weed Group. We meet at 4:20 on Shabbat, and we're going to have a bagel morning mm. at MJ BizCon. <laughs> Excellent. We might have to make room on the Seder plate for a bud or something. I'm down with that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so let's see. Just a quick update. Before we get on, a quick grow my own. I started. I don't remember last week we talked with Beth Masso from uh, North Atlantic Seed, and I have germinated my seeds, and they went into the little teeny tiny pots right. today. So, yeah. Well done. So proud of me. I was inspired. I was at the Harvest Cup last week, which is a it's a Worcester Mass, and it's really products and flower, and I could see everything that everyone was doing. And look, I picked up some gifts, more Jewish cannabis connection. There's a young woman there, and her mom, I think she's got Down syndrome, and she makes these. They're like doobie holders. So oh, you put, cool. I know it's audio only, I forget. So it's a little triangle. Inside, there's a doobie. Is that what it's called? A doobie tube? <laughs> <laughs> it look, yeah, it's like a plastic smallish test tube kind of thing that seals right yeah yeah and then there's a message she does all sorts of things but she had a whole series of ones for um i don't know this and then she had it looks all handmade very oh they're bespoke, very handmade very cool, they're yeah. the craftiest of craft you don't know, have crafts i get the hanukkah thing going so mm, looking at I'm a very cool, cool menorah I, yeah i'm the cool aunt or the crazy aunt so all my nieces and nephews know they'll get something from me at hanukkah <laughs> <laughs> the cool aunt is the is a cannamom, I mean, you can't get much cooler than that. Come That's on. true. And I did pick up an ashtray that was shaped like a guitar for someone that we know. So don't tell them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My lips are sealed. Yeah, lips are sealed. All right. So I have nothing else because today's got a really big show. So I'm just going to jump into our guest introduction. So that's it, Dave. No special corner and no uh, culture corner. But next week, I'll find something to talk about. Once the listener hears what we're talking about today, they will understand. And I'm really glad you're doing this, Joyce, because... Uh, people need to hear it, and you do too, because you you could use oh. a little healing, right? We all. Could. Oh yeah. Well, yesterday was the Washington March, which actually healed my soul a little bit. So. Yeah, yeah. I have some friends that went there. I got to check on them. I'm sure. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a funny. This, I'm gonna, I'll get to this in a minute, but there's a funny post out there that said 20 million Jews attended the march on Washington, put out by the Hamas militant group, whatever, and they're like. There are 16 million Jews in the world, so yeah, we'll see. But <laughs> Math is hard, yeah. Math is hard. All right, so we'll, I'm just going to move right on from that. All right, today today we have a bunch of people, so we're going to start first with our guest, who is a 26-year-old Canadian mom who had, and I hope I pronounced this right, hyperemesis gravidarum, which I will be calling HG for the rest of the show. It is a genetic pregnancy illness, and she had that back in 2021. And she found relief with cannabis from the severe nausea and vomiting when the many pharmaceuticals she was prescribed actually didn't work, or actually she couldn't keep down. She discovered that cannabis improved her quality of life by increasing her appetite and decreasing her vomiting, which is also helpful when you're pregnant. But she had to keep this knowledge to herself because she was afraid to tell her doctors and family because of the stigma and the shame. As a former history teacher, she took it upon herself to learn the history of cannabis and came to understand that the plant was not the devil's lettuce, but a miracle for medicinal use. She's inspired, she is evangelized about her knowledge about her knowledge how cannabis can help, and she built at Golden Teacher Tory, 
platforms educating moms about HG and plant medicine. Today's guest has found a community of moms working towards changing HG care and normalizing cannabis use during HG pregnancy. She believes that all HG moms should have access to cannabis, and she believes plant medicine is the future of HG care. So please welcome to the Cannabis Mom Show, Tori Moline. Welcome. Thank you so much, Joyce. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited to be here. So let's just start. So HG, which I hope I pronounced right, you'll say it again. When you were pregnant, were you surprised that this is actually something that happened? And maybe give a little, some stats about HG and what did you know what it was before it even happened to you? Absolutely. Ah, well, let's, let me take us all back to December of 2020 when I took a positive pregnancy test and the next morning I began to vomit. Little did I know this vomiting would not stop until about six months postpartum, actually. I was in for the long haul in terms of vomiting, like millions of moms across this world are enduring at this very moment as well and have endured. The most interesting part about this is that hyperemesis gravidarum is actually genetic. A lot of us who have HG, our moms had HG or our grandmas, maybe an aunt, it, does, it doesn't necessarily affect everyone, but most it is most likely that you have a family member who also has HG. Now, this information that I just said there wasn't even known about when I had HG. So in the past two years, we've come a long way in terms of getting the message about hyperemesis gravidarum out. The Her Foundation has done great work in terms of really defining what HG is and giving a voice to a lot of moms out there. But what they kind of neglect to do and to talk about is cannabis helping this traumatic, traumatic illness. Can we we kind of go back to you? So did you know your mother or your mother or your grandmother? Did you know this before you actually got pregnant? Ah, good question. Yes. So my mom gave birth in 1997. No internet existed. Nothing where a lot of the vibe back then, too, was women weren't talking about pregnancy. They It was a lot of hush-hush, keep your mouth shut, get through it, you have a healthy baby, congratulations. And so that's kind of the era that she grew up in. And so when I had HG, I actually didn't figure it out until the very end of my pregnancy. I didn't have a name for what I was going through because my doctor didn't have knowledge about the illness itself, which is mind-blowing. So now, what did they? So obviously you were very sick, and I, I, I of your, I was of your mother's era. So my friends who are in situations like that, they went into the hospital often because they were so dehydrated and they needed fluids, and they stayed on the bed, and I assume they were given medication. So what were they telling you? What were they giving you? And what were you supposed to do? Yeah. So when I went to see my doctor and I explained the with tears in my eyes how much I was vomiting, her first reaction was, okay, this is your first trimester. Here, let's try something called Declectin. That is like the first prescription commonly given out here in Canada. Now that is a lot different than what's commonly given out in the USA or other countries, for example. But I was giving Declectin. It didn't work. It didn't stay down. My vomiting and nausea did not improve went back to the doctor and said, hey, doctor, this is not working. Please help. Please help. Still, with not telling me what was happening to me, she she prescribed me something called metonia. Metonia did not work either. It reduced my... So were these all anti-nausea medications? Is this what they were trying to give you? And how how was your pregnancy progressing? Were you gaining weight? Were you able to actually keep any food down at this point? Or... 
no, not at all. So I started to lose weight. <laughs> so this is data, like this is actually kind of sad to me. I mean, I'm 58, so you would think this would be better by now. So you're a woman, you come in, you obviously aren't feeling well, you're pregnant, which is sucks to be pregnant. It's very hard on your body. And you're basically being told you have to take all these medications. So it's a kind of a big show because I know this is like a long story. But basically you are on these medications, I know. And then uh, you are on, you know, on many, many different, how many variations did they give you until you actually discovered cannabis? I tried three medications total um, before some, my intuition was screaming at me. Now, an important part of my story is that I was not a consistent cannabis user before my age. Yeah, so I was going to ask, so what, was your, so what was your relationship with cannabis and what did you think? And that's a big transition, especially when you're a pregnant mom, a pregnant mom, obviously you're pregnant if you're a mom, if you're pregnant and you're, you know, trying to take care of your body, that's really like a big part of it. It makes women feel very guilty about anything we do that could be harming um, the fetus as opposed to how are we going to care for ourselves. So so what did you think cannabis was and how did you come to the realization that it might actually help? I had just begun my kind of journey of experiencing cannabis in a positive light. I had never consumed until I was 20, 22 years old. And so I had tried it out, had not the greatest times with it, so stayed away from it for about a year. But then I moved in with my son's dad and he was a cannabis user, had been for a long time. I had begun to use it at nighttime because I realized, wow, I'm getting the best sleep I've ever had in my life. And so I began to kind of use it at nighttime sometimes when I struggled with sleep. So we had it in the house. I knew that it wasn't what I was told as a child and as a even as a practicing teacher when I was teaching health class, for example. I, I didn't know anything about medicinal cannabis. And so if I'm teaching many, many children, they go on to know that message as well. And that's where it all starts. It's kind of right there. So it, it's like a little wild that I kind of come from that drastic of a change. Like you said, the transition was insane. I had to learn all the cannabis lingo while throwing up. Just the whole like, language around cannabis. So, so, you, but you, so you're saying that your so your boyfriend at the time or your your son's father had he was a cannabis user. So again, he was involved with this pregnancy and people are always projecting all sorts of thing onto the person who's actually carrying the baby. And when you asked or talked about or were trying to consider cannabis as a medicinal use, what was his reaction as he was a cannabis user and was in that world? And what it, obviously probably in a different way, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was really surprised at his lack of support. He used it quite recreationally growing up and maybe misused it, abused it, kind of because of the lack of information. It was illegal when he began in high school. It didn't get legalized in Canada until 2018, mm -hmm. 2017, something like that. And so his his immediate reaction was, you're harming the baby. What are you doing? Mm. And that was really hard on me because I'm trying to survive and have the baby survive. And I have found, or I've tried the typical pharmaceutical route. No doctor is telling me what is happening to my body. And I am, and especially with my previous history of not really using cannabis. Yeah, I was quite shocked at his lack of support. I had to do a lot of like, as a teacher, I just, I knew I had to like educate him about it almost. And it took me like two years years to really educate him and I guess that's where my platform started <laughs> all right so I mean I find these stories really powerful and it you know this is a little bit different with the pregnancy but generally the stories I'm still hearing in the infancy of our this industry specifically with the women for healing is that they've they've come to the end of their ropes they're very very desperate they've tried everything the world has said is okay and yet they still have this ability to hear that message 
to be able to block out the messages from the world who are still telling it's so dangerous because their own body is truly reacting in a way that is counterintuitive to what they are hearing. And they're able to kind of step over that platform, heal, which I say this industry is led by healed women. Like, why wouldn't you want it to be led by us? And now they know they didn't have what they needed back in the day. And now they're becoming the people they needed, which is pretty much what you've done. So you had this journey. You went through the so what's the uh, just for people who don't know what is the um, legal status of cannabis in um, Canada right now? It, it's fully legal, fully accessible. There's medical. There's medical. Like as a, as a single mom, I can get a discount on my medical marijuana. Get out. Medical- <laughs> yeah, I get twenty five percent off because I'm a lower income mom, which is really nice. Uh, very. Oh, very- America, America, America. <laughs> yes. Great. And as a Canadian, I began to recognize that what it what even though my experience was traumatic because I had to keep my use to myself, I still had access. I still could go to the dispensary wearing a big hoodie um, and go and get cannabis if I needed to. When I began to tell my story on platforms, I quickly Actually, can we go, let's go backwards a little bit yeah. then. So you were able to that it's right. So you were able to access cannabis legally. So you knew it was tested, that sort of thing. You were, you know, God, you know, you didn't know what it wasn't. You knew the whole point of being legal and regulated is that you can test it to make sure it's what you say, what you're buying. So that's actually good. Right. But you were, so were you feeling better and not telling your doctors? Like what was happening in terms of like, if you were off the medications and they could see that you weren't as sick as you were and your, even your family, like what were you telling them what was going on and what did you share and what didn't you share? I just kept kind of, well, I kept it to myself, but I kept telling them I was very truthful the entire time. Like, I'm still vomiting everyone. I am still vomiting. But no one seemed to really be like, oh, she's still vomiting. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was like a, hello, help me, please. I'm drowning kind of thing. And so when you realize that there's no support from those around you, you almost start to just, you don't really care. You're like, this cannabis is saving me. Like, it became truth. Like, it the plant told if you will it whispered to me this is truth tori and what is being told to you and around you is misinformation and just a, a legacy of a lot of propaganda surrounding cannabis and education and stuff like that but and and that's where the i guess i learned the history of cannabis and that's what also helped me realize that it was truth as well mm-hmm. and so i kind of really stuck with that i isolated myself quite a bit as hg Moms and HG cannabis using moms do. We go into isolation when a significant amount of us are not helped. And so mm-hmm. cannabis kind of helped with that a little bit because when you're in such an isolated state, sometimes the plant can be very help you process what's happening a little bit. It cannabis was not a cure for HG, but like I say, or like I like to say, it held my hand through it. Um, she, she rubbed my back while I puke kind of thing. Um, but yeah, she, she's a caregiver. Cannabis is a caregiver. (laughs) All right. So, all right. So you weren't telling them. So when did you finally tell your family or people that this was something you were doing? Cause you're very public now. You're on the social medias, the Mm -hmm. the social media, like I'm an old person on the social medias. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah. So uh, when did you tell them? I wrote up a little story six months. Oh, mother's day. Eight months, my 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 kiddo was eight months old. It was Mother's Day. I posted on Facebook my big old story, like essay form, and I said the beginning of it was, "This has been a long time coming." Dot dot dot. Mm. And it was just like the whole truth bomb of like uh, cannabis and HG pregnancy, and this is what I went through. And so from there, I started to connect with other moms. And I, as- yeah, let's talk about yeah. So let's talk about your community. You're 
I don't know, what are you hearing from them and how are you helping? Again, you're just existing. You're probably helping when you can see that someone else is out there doing what you're doing and you don't feel so alone. That's part of the shame and the isolation. That was kind of the power of the narrative that created where we are to begin with. So people like you are actually helping create a new narrative. So what are you seeing out there and how are you helping other HD moms? Hmm, Yeah, I'll loop back to saying, I guess, as a Canadian, I realized that my story was unique and important because of my access and yeah, my access to the cannabis plant. And I quickly realized by connecting with moms in the United States that this was not the case for them. A lot of HD moms who are barely surviving cannot access the cannabis plant like I did. And thus resulting in many negative outcomes for mom and baby. HG has a 34% fetal loss rate. I believe, I strongly believe this percentage would decrease with legalization of cannabis and access <laughs> to pregnant moms. Wow. I mean, that again, that's an interesting statistic to talk about. Who was I talking? I was talking to somebody last week about, oh, Kelly Osborne of the the Canna Mummy down here in California. And she was talking about how we're perfectly fine having a woman have a big needle stuck into her back but the idea that during childbirth you could have a gummy or an edible or have something else that would relax you is illegal so this whole story is kind of flipped on its head and it's interesting as a canadian to see what it looks like in america is your when you have babies like the issue in america is that babies can be their meconium can be tested and it's not really anything except for a hospital policy so there are moms across the country i can see are fighting back against that policy because there's no reason to do it especially in a state like massachusetts where it's legal so is that happening in canada as well yes absolutely we are we're really trying to show moms i guess through my community that we're like living in those illegal states and what's happening with cps being called by your obstetrician because they're mandated reporters this practice this practice needs to end because Mm -hmm. essentially the system is inflicting more trauma, more mental health issues for mom, negative physical outcomes for mom and baby, all because social workers are storming into an HG mom's hospital room and following them home. And that's insane. (laughs) So this is another big issue we're talking about. And a mom, sometimes it can feel like, sometimes it can feel airy, but the truth is, especially for women who are carrying other humans in them, this is an issue where once you get child services involved, that's a total different mess of ball of wax. And no one should even have that step taken, no matter who you are. So I love that there are more moms stepping up and talking about this. And again, changing the idea of how we think about cannabis, we should have started as medicinal, like Israel has a whole different program, which we'll be talking about in a few minutes, but we did make it a business here in America, and now we're shifting it backwards, and Canada sort of seems to be some kind of weird hybrid. So this is medicine, just like any other medicine, and it shouldn't be penalized. So it's so grateful that women like you are talking up. So let's see. So Tori, like on the other side, I you have your social media, just what it feels like to be a Canada mom, the different things that are coming up for you. So we're going to be back on the other side of this. We have a special segment guest that we mentioned up front and talking more with Tori Moline when um, we come back. So we'll be back with you in a bit. Sounds great. Uh, great. All right. Big shift. <laughs> we're going to, although not really. So we are going to be talking about Israel and cannabis, it's a lot that's going on in the world. And we know that without Israel, the cannabis world would literally look completely different. 
And of course, like I just mentioned, Israel has integrated cannabis very differently than the United States and Canada at this point. And we have two Jews in cannabis to talk about just how what's going on. And of course, we are going to be talking about the October 7th uh, raid on Nair Oz because our guest Yael is a resident there and connected with the medical cannabis world. And Dr. Lissa is here because she has her Jews and cannabis and she connected all of us. So welcome, ladies. Okay, So, yeah, let's, say, Hi, let's, just, let's just start real quickly. For anyone who doesn't know what a kibbutz is, I said this last week on my show, can you just explain what a kibbutz is and then talk a little bit about uh, where you are right now and you, we sort of just what you want to talk to my audience about and then we'll talk about advocacy and work that we can do once we know the issues. Thank you. Sure. Well, I'll just give you the definition of what the kibbutz is for me. And and Lisa can explain in more detail um, and feel free to like, she can speak with me. Of course. So, so a kibbutz. So nowadays, a kibbutz is like a little bit of paradise. And kibbutz near Oz was located along the Gaza envelope. And so near Oz, kibbutz near Oz is about one and a half kilometers I think you might need to check it what it is in miles, but uh, it's very close. <laughs> very close. Yes, very close. <laughs> yes. And, I'm going to uh, team in the back coming back with stats. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Translating. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I can give it to you. Let's <laughs> say the woods that we were in, it's about 75 miles. I got the okay. miles uh, from Tel Aviv, which is like the center of Israel. Mm-hmm. So in our kibbutz, it nowadays, it wasn't functioning, meaning like people like myself that have a normal job outside of the kibbutz and just like my partner, Gil, we lived there. Uh, but previously, the kibbutz was a place where families came together and worked on the land. Mm-hmm. So it was still very much the members and our friends who had been born there. Uh, and their parents over 50 years ago, they were very much involved in agriculture. And you would have our potato farmer or our the carrot farmer. I would often come home on a Thursday and find a bag of potatoes waiting for me for my Friday night Shabbat dinner. Because I was super into making Shabbos dinner at home right. from scratch. So, so yeah, maybe, Lisa, you can give more what it actually no, that, 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 I mean, that's that, that a quick overview. I just did mention it. And just the idea, it's a communal living situation, basically. I would and, just and it's one thing that would yeah. help a lot, which is that the movement started in the 1920s, right? an offshoot of the Bund movement in Russia, which is a movement of socialist Jews, Jews committed to socialism, collective living, and peace, and who realized after the Dreyfus Affair that Jews would never have peace in all of Europe. And so it was sort of part of early Zionist movement, but it was really about Jews finding a place to live in peace together and to work collaboratively and in cooperation to tend to the well-being of all rather than one individual. So I just think it's important to understand the roots. And 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 it comes back obviously to cannabis and how we care for each other and this idea and the horror that this was one of the communities that was actually involved in the attack on October 7th. So you were on this kibbutz, which is sounds like a lovely yeah. place. I went there, I've been there, and Israel is a beautiful country, and it's very agricultural. I don't know if anyone's keeping up with the news in terms of like even the, right now they're having issues with people doing what needs to be done agriculturally, and you're involved with the cannabis industry, so I'm sure there's a level of need there too. So yeah, 
Yeah. I'm happy to share more with you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Very much now. It's, it's actually quite hard to see that yeah. there are all these volunteers that are going into the South and helping with like general food agriculture, picking avocados and whatnot. In the medical cannabis industry, that's not really applicable because it's a, it's a medical role. And, and so. So, all right, so you, so, yeah, so I just, so you, and we could talk about so many different things. Let's keep it on cannabis and what you're doing sure. with the medicinal world. So you no and your problem. partner are um, We're in, from there. you're from there yeah. and you're involved with the medical cannabis world. And what were you doing before the, you left? Sure. Right. sure. So my partner is the director of cultivation or the master grower of the medical cannabis farm, which is next to near Oz. And okay. so that's why we lived in near Oz for the last three years. It's actually where we met each other. I went, when I entered the medical cannabis industry, it was one of the first farms I visited. And that's oh, wow. where we found each other. So for us, Niroz is like everything about our relationship. And what occurred uh, on the 7th of October was basically a brutal massacre of our community. And there's even footage, you can see terrorists running through the farm and they in fact stole uh, some of the golf carts and bicycles that the the workers would use and I mean I can elaborate further but it was a pretty overwhelming feeling to to, to for my partner to see his golf cart being utilized to uh, take hostages t- into Gaza so yeah so this is yeah uh, this is a very uh, I don't even know where to go with this so so let's just try I, I could go deep I, I... Yeah, Let's just talk about like where, okay, so if we can keep this focus sort of on the medicinal part, the cannabis, the users, yes. the people, the patients. I talk a lot about, you know, obviously cannabis, we talk about her as a caregiver. And yes. maybe just, maybe my audience doesn't really know. Can you just talk about what it the status is of Israel? Like how, who are the patients and where they're being used? I had sure. seen a story recently about in nursing homes and elderly, and it's a different way of utilizing cannabis than it is here in America. So maybe that's a good yeah. way to sort of focus Wow, what you're talking about and how we can help. No yeah. problem. So just very high level, there's um, over 120,000 registered medical cannabis patients around Israel. And then there are various farms that produce cannabis and, and then those get sold into different pharmacies. So just for sharing, after the 7th of October, the Ministry of Health, which is who manages all of this through the different healthcare providers, they actually like extended people's license licenses so that because you would have to like renew it every few months. They helped to extend the, the license. They also were in some ways giving it for free, offering certain discounts if you could show that you're from a certain area. Because usually the medical cannabis would be delivered to your house, to that exact address. But so, oh, wow. yeah, in this case, like my partner, who's a medical cannabis patient, well, we don't have a home. So we're... And and then the whole community and all those communities across that area all got sort of um, dispersed and relocated. So it's almost like uh, being a refugee in your own country. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the Ministry of Health um, very much helped to support and supply as needed. But I guess from my side and what I would like to share is that about the people, the people that made the product, the people produce the product right and uh and that's the like that missing point yeah and i need to breathe a little no, bit no, I, breathe. I, forget, <laughs> I forget to breathe so i just need to breathe i think we all do and so and again you you have left the country so my listeners know you are not there and you're right 
and and your but your plants are still there and things that the industry my, is my everything is there my partner okay. is there my cat is there everyone is there I okay. um, personally you can maybe hear my accent I'm originally from Cape Town South Africa and I needed to exit uh, to give myself a sense of um, safety even though we were relocated and moved uh, with our community to a safe place. Uh, uh, it was better for me after one month of being there to to get out. So I'm right. I'm I'm speaking to you from Berlin at the moment. But your um, but you, but your partner is there. Your business very is much there. there. And you and, and we want and we want to keep this going because it is what you're doing is wellness and health for your country. So absolutely, uh, yeah, so and help me with the people. Yeah, exactly. And 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 so basically, I want to share with you that on the morning of the seventh, when things occurred. My partner was sitting there, like we actually somehow were, were not there, but, but our whole, all our friends were there and he, he was messaging the nursery manager. The nursery manager's name is Ilana. Okay. Ilana, you can imagine she handled all the babies. She was very gentle and a, a vital part of the farm. And at nine o'clock in the morning, she was messaging Gil and by nine 15, there was no response. Gil oh, is still gosh. waiting for Ilana, the nursery manager of this farm, to reply. So that's just one story, and that's why I'm here, because I need to speak about Ilana. I need people to understand that the people that are making the product, everything from the nursery through to post-harvest, and I'll share more in a second, are are real people that all they wanted to do was to make medicine for the 120,000 medical patients in Israel. I share another story with you about the the man that managed the like climate and irrigation. When the massacre happened, all the power went out. So for like two or three days, there was just like no power. And so he had to risk his life, so to speak, to try turn on the electricity. And and in the meantime, my partner, I mean, I'm sitting, I'm glued to him. And he's got like the main responsibility as the director of cultivation. And I'm not letting him go back into the war zone that we've gotten out of. So, so yeah, but after the third day, when I finally sort of, I don't know how to explain it to you, but just yeah, after the third day, Our main mission and his main mission, which became my main mission, was to save the genetics. Like, that's it. He's like, we need to save the genetics. We need to save the genetics for the people, the medical patients of Israel. So whatever we had, we did really some crazy shit to make it happen. So when Uh, you say save the genetics, you mean save the plants, save the seeds, save the, what are you, what are you saving actually? Exactly. Exactly. We're trying to save so it's not there are no seeds, right? It's all cloning, and so it's Clone. like to take the, to get the plants out and to check what genetics we have in the north and the south, and to try to yeah. I was I was and I just trying to kind of back it up on this, just just so my listeners understand. These genetics are medicinal, so they've been created and cloned and created, and all the stuff that I say I don't understand about anything in genetics. Somehow, this has magically been created after a lot of time to help very specific people in very specific conditions and to lose that would be a real serious loss. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, all the genetics are based on certain indications, be it sleep, pain, appetite. Of course they market it in a, 
in a sense, but if you ask a patient what strain they need, like it's very specific over here in Israel. So yeah, the goal was to, to say and, and yeah, and it was really very much just like us, because again, the, the person that manages the post harvest, for example, she was hiding in a cupboard in her home for over 24 hours and they even tried to evacuate her, but then they had to stop in certain areas because it was too dangerous. So she had to wait and then get removed. Again, I can share about the, the operations manager. The day the war broke, he started, he was called to duty and he's been walking around with army tanks for the last like 40 days. So, so, you're, so person, we're, you're, you're, the, you're the situation right now. So, so have you been able to? I don't even know how to ask the question. Were you able to get genetics saved and where are they? And yeah, so where are you in that? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Yes, okay. yes. We were definitely able to to save the genetics. And okay. um, it's it's a real miracle of how certain people came together to including myself, who right. <laughs> was pretty much absolutely mentally finished, but I had my computer, so I was able to support any way I can and in, in like any physical labor that was required. The purpose. We so, had purpose and the, the patients on the other end. So what's happening now in terms of getting to patients what's that what's the next yeah. step or is that so we we do thankfully and actually it's also like uh, the connection with Canada in Israel we import we're able to import Canadian cannabis so oh. it's not like there's a shortage of of cannabis around it's it is available but of course I mean I if you just visualize like a well-established one of the biggest fast-growing farms outside of North America with no electricity, then the electricity goes back on. Then it's just, so just to reassure you, there's no shortage. We okay. have full supply and also the logistics have been managed. But yeah, it was the, the principle of of saving genetics for the future, for after the war. We, we couldn't be that after this war, which, and we still don't know when it's going to end. Right. That's why I'm here at the moment. Yeah, we had to ensure like the future. So so that's what he that's what we did. Beautiful, amazing. All right, this is if there's so much more, but we only have so much time on the show. So sorry. No, no. It's, these are very powerful stories. These are very real stories. And these I do kind of kid about my new Jewish cannabis connection, but it, it it is true. There's a lot of there's just sadness in the world and things that are just going on. And cannabis is something that's hopeful. And it's healing. So I just do want to kind of be the spark of light. I think that's really what we're trying to do all across. I think that's all yes. Jews are trying to do is we're just trying to be the light. I don't I don't know why everyone hates us. It's very weird. Anyways, <laughs> let's go well, back just, to Lisa. Yeah. Before we go, I just wanted to say okay. that like it's still ongoing because yeah. even the so-called survivors and people that were shot and injured, like that oh. are recovering, all the workers have been called to duty and now oh. There's possibilities of them dying in, in Gaza. So right now it's 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 still very unstable, and we're but we're finding our feet. You are La, la, la slowly, 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 slowly. All right. So, Lisa, what I I know that we have a lot of other things, but I know you want to talk about some actions we can take. We have about ten more minutes, so just I don't. However, you want to frame it, and how do you want to move the conversation forward? Yes, I, I would just yeah. say initially, I was really concerned that there was a shortage because I was acutely aware that the immediate aftermath, there was no one to harvest the flower. And like, even that makes me cry. Like we all love cannabis as our caretaker, as our best friend for me, like literally my partner and the only co-parent I've ever had. 
So for me, just to think of like the fact that nobody could actually harvest this flower, just waiting to be harvested because all of the workers were either dead or displaced or had been kidnapped, right? Like, so I spent just weeks trying to figure out if there was a shortage, if I needed to like arrange quick imports from Canada. And I'm still here ready to do that. And I'm just very grateful that in this time, I was able to meet L just through LinkedIn, right? Just through a connection so that we have this partnership now. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Cannabis Jew Magazine, CannabisJew.com. And I've just reorganized the website to help publicize a lot of initiatives. And we'll be publicizing a different initiative to help a different community in Israel every month, right? Now I have this connection to Near Oz, and so we're focusing on the community of Near Oz. About that, I also just wanted to mention, if this is okay, Gael, that Alana, the woman mentioned, was kidnapped. So when she, when Yael says this is ongoing, it's ongoing because we feel terror every single day about yeah. the hostages who are so... This is a woman devoted to medical cannabis, devoted to nurturing, who's like right now being held by Hamas. So yes. uh, both Yael and I just wanted the cannabis community to know that there were so many residents at these yes. with the same values and essential to building up this. The Israel has the only national medical cannabis program in the entire world. So it's a model for all of us. And Joyce, I'm glad you mentioned that Israel has taken a different approach. Because when we think about the Jewish relation to cannabis, because cannabis has always forever played a role in Jewish medicinal and spiritual practice, we get the word cannabis from the Hebrew kanabasim. It is mentioned in the Talmud in terms of medicinal practice. Tori, you're going to love this. I'm not making this up. The Talmud, these are dudes. These are men rabbis, right? Mention cannabis in our Talmud as really important medical practice for women in labor to cut like the pain of time, right? That's the Jews, right? Like we've been doing this. For that, that's the Jews, years. people. That's the Jews. <laughs> I call it life over politics, baby. L'chaim, right? <laughs> and so as it turns out, all of the values that have like enabled Israel to have the moral courage of all the nations to say, we're doing this. We're going to help our citizens. Like all of the bias is just bias. Like, this is the model that everyone in the cannabis community has, like until October 7th, like been really like, like open about expressing their admiration, right? And so I've been shocked that after October 7th, I haven't heard anything from like any cannabis organizations. I've heard not a word and I've been shaken to my core, which is why I'm helping to organize this campaign and right now just publicize and help draw attention to uh, Israel Gibbs. Uh, and israelgives.org, which has so many initiatives going on. And you can find information about this campaign to help the terror victims of Kibbutz Nur, Oz, on israelgives.org. Um, the campaign, the point is to help them recover and restore their community. There are so many needs right now. Again, it's also important to remember that there are members uh, being held hostage right now. Or you can find out about this campaign on the homepage of Cannabis Jew Magazine at CannabisJew.com, where you can also click to donate right from the homepage. Elle lost her home at near Oz, right? And we both believe that the cannabis community has a very special responsibility to stand with Israel and show solidarity with Jews during this time of a global resurgence in anti-Semitic violence, where globally it is now 
thought legitimate to ask for Israel's destruction, which again, for the non-Jews, I just need you to know, like, this is something we live with and that causes us like to feel terror and fear every single day. I'm going to quickly mention just two reasons why the cannabis community has this special responsibility. One we've briefly touched on, which is that so many of the communities attacked were actually part of Kibbutzim, which are cooperative socialist communities devoted to peace and collective living, so many of the people killed devoted their lives to uplifting and empowering Palestinians. I, I don't know if the media has really emphasized that. These communities embody the values that motivate all of us in the cannabis community to work to increase access to medical cannabis. Second, I think it's incredibly important to remember that Dr. Raphael Meshulam, right, who discovered THC, was a child survivor of the Holocaust and discovered cannabinoids as a means to recover in a nation of survivors that guarantees the survival of the Jewish people. In this sense, we can say that the cannabis industry was actually made possible as an industry by Jewish survival and the will to recover out of the ashes of the final solution always in quotes, final solution, right, to the, in quote, problem of Jewish life. This is the problem that all of Europe decided that they had to solve by gassing six million Jews. So for this reason, the cannabis industry has a special responsibility to support Israel and defend Jews against those who deny our right to exist, since our resilience and recovery paved the way for the medical cannabis industry and its moral compass. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I just want to say is that as it's such a critical, difficult time. Any donation at all to help the community at Near Oz is incredibly important. It's really significant. And Jews feel so alone right now because all of our colleagues and like are just being silent. They're just silent as they watch us post things on LinkedIn as we express our anguish. So even donating $5 to help the community at Near Oz, again, essentially related to medical cannabis, is really important and goes a long way, not just monetarily, which it really does, but also in terms of like the support, the emotional support we need from non-Jews in the cannabis industry. Oh, ladies. Yeah, I've been feeling this for weeks, just projecting onto Dave. So it's good to have people to share it with. We're not making it up. Like my dad used to say, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you. So the world can see it. I wish it wasn't true, but I appreciate everyone who stands up and connects with me on Instagram or LinkedIn or YouTube or anywhere else I am because it does make a difference. And I do believe cannabis is part of the solution. It's part of every solution, really. But these deep ties are really important to share. So, all right. So we have a lot of ways for you to help. It'll all be in the show notes. Is there anything else you just want to leave us with you all about how we can help and what you want us to hear? I just need you to hear that we need to bring all the 200 and almost 40 hostages home. We need your help to bring the hostages home. We need your help to bring the women and children home now. Now, Ilana needs to come home now. That's all. Thank you. Bring them home now. Bring them home now. All right. Thank you, ladies, for sharing. That was really powerful, everyone. And we are going to get a big, giant can of hug, everyone. All right. We're going to get back with my friend, Tori, just to wrap it all up. Social media. 
uh, can help. It can harm. Uh, you've been on it for a while. I know you've been doing a lot of work. What have people been reaction to the, the what you put out there? And if people want to connect with you as a can mom, how do they do that? Yeah, I've had great experiences, life-changing experiences come from connecting with others on social media. And a lot of what a lot of the knowledge and resources that exist right now for hyperemesis gravidarum and plant medicine have been created through those who have the courage to speak their truth and to collaborate after such a traumatic event. And so I'm just, I'm very proud of the moms who have come together and believe in what I speak about, but also contribute their own stories. I created a podcast this year. I released it in June of 2023, and it was showcasing the stories of HG plant-choosing moms across the world. And we, I, I spoke with them about their, about the details of their story and their journey and, and their journey to the cannabis plant during HG. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and you do things that are pretty, they're not didactic you're trying to get people engaged with this conversation and, and you're a can of mom so what have you have you found now that you're actually being a mom and engaging with your child I talk a lot about how these can of kids are much different than my children because they grew up with it's normalized so they've broken the we've broken the stigma by raising children who know it's just a plant so how has it been and how old is your child now my son is just over two years old but okay, I have so I little little yeah okay yeah, I have uh, aspirations for sure to educate him about the plant in the right way. And I work, I got a job at a dispensary to learn more about cannabis products in Canada so I can better help HG moms mm-hmm. um, because that, that's the chunk I was kind of missing was the experience with products and all of that knowledge that goes with it. So working now at the dispensary is kind of, I hope the beginning of my cannabis career and I would like to one day help moms specifically postpartum with postpartum moms who experience hyperemesis gravidarum and be a doula who can support plant wow. medicine and also nutrition have knowledge about the severe nutritional needs that are present for hg moms postpartum my own story involves me losing over 50 pounds postpartum because i was malnourished i experienced extreme ptsd from vomiting I, I kind of forgot to mention during HG, I was vomiting every one to two hours. There was no no low, no let up except for when I would sleep for about four hours. Every morning I woke up at 4 a.m. puking. So this turned into a psychological response postpartum. My brain imagine. Yeah. a loop that it was not wanting to come out of. And I, I, I couldn't believe what was taking place. I was watching my body wither away. I was getting... But then I was getting comments saying, oh, Tori, you look so great. Wow. But it was, I was screaming internally saying, haven't you just seen what I've gone through? Haven't you seen that I can't eat? Like, and so that is a common problem that a lot of HG moms experience is that percept- being perceived by society as, oh, we lost a lot of weight. And moms who start off with higher BMIs will have an even more bigger problem with this because they're not seen right away. My own story involves me going from 169 pounds to 107 pounds, but oh, you're a little my, yeah. my story is, it's interesting because my story, it was visible that I was losing that weight. When you start at 215 pounds and you drop down to 180, for example, people aren't seeing that right away. So they're, they're, 
they're not being seen <laughs> and it's really, a, really I, 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 again it's a sort of a women pregnant women big women I, I don't know there's some sort of thing going on in people's heads but this is why the women have to set up their own world and invite the good men in as we like to say and cannabis she's a caregiver she's trying to help us create a world where we can take care of each other and that's actually a value that's front and center which is what I really love about this so that is what you're doing and you're you're changing the narrative because you exist and you're helping those moms out there. So that's great that you're learning products too, like pretty quick. Can you go over, I don't know if someone was, there's so many products, but I, I mean, sort of like, what do you think someone who's actually having a lot of nausea and sort of in this state, are you recommending tinctures? Are you recommending them do things on their own? Like, are there some things that women can do right away to kind of topicals that can kind of help until they can mm-hmm. figure out what the next step is? Absolutely. This was like my biggest mission postpartum was to figure okay, what cannabis helps with nausea vomiting? Because it was really hard to find mm-hmm. any information about that. And I often say like, it blows my mind that there's so much lack of research on nausea vomiting conditions. Nausea, vo- vomiting is one of the worst human experiences. Like you're not able to eat, you're not able to drink and you're vomiting on top of esophagus is ripping, ribs, all that kind of stuff. It's a really, really, really state of existence and so I was just so surprised at the lack of knowledge but then you do start to read that research about cannabis helping chemotherapy patients and Mm -hmm. that was the aha moment for me where I said these patients are their quality of life is improved um, and they're experiencing similar symptoms to us HG moms and so yeah quality of life improvement is something I kind of want to touch on too when I was using cannabis during HG I would have given myself a quality of life on a scale of 10. I think I was experiencing maybe a one or a two. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink water. I couldn't, I couldn't intake anything and my output was much greater. And so. And when you start, I, I, so the anti-nausic, I heard this last week, I interviewed a woman who was talking about her migraines and it wasn't the pain. She thought it would stop the pain, but what it stopped with the nausea. So our bodies are telling us something and it's very hard to function. And when you're in that state, there might not be a lot of empathy for you, but it's very hard to focus on anything else around you. And and once that goes away, you're able to focus on obviously your children who always want your attention and you just yes. feel better. So what, do you, so I just, I'm just running out of time. So what's a couple, could you just recommend something if someone's sort of in that state, that uh, yes. very low quality of state and they just want, I talk about this doesn't solve everything. It's a tool in the toolbox and you have to be conscious. So if you're living at a one to two and you can get it up to a four, you feel much better. So what is something you might recommend for someone to get that first step to where they might be able to feel a little better? Yeah. To improve that yeah. quality of life yep. in the mar- on the mark on the market in Canada here, we have something called CBG. It's minor cannabinoid and yep. it's pretty present in oils, tinctures, like everything. And so I've had great success with CBG and I've found and heard great stories <clears throat> from HG moms about CBG. So if you can get your hands on CBG, as well as I'm a, a bit of an advocate for the inhalation consumption method during HG because of the inability to keep food or anything mm. that you're putting True. into your body. And so I stuck with organic flour sitting at around 20 to 25%. Anything lower mm. didn't seem to help sometimes, but anything greater was too much for my system, too much for my endocannabinoid system learning about the endocannabinoid system and how it works with your body, especially tying that into nausea, vomiting, pregnancy is going to be just so important when trying to kind of establish or validate 
your choice in using plant medicine during HG. I, I'm, I get, I am so, I'm constantly amazed by the women come on because you're basically using your body as your own test tube. I mean, no one's helping <laughs> you. You're just like, I call myself kind of feels for HD moms. Yeah, but <laughs> it's, a a very, of us, it's a conscientious use of the plant and being very aware of how you're feeling and then being very, actually understanding the products. We're so used to taking an aspirin and popping it and assuming we're going to feel better. So there's a whole different ball of wax that we're talking about. But there are more and more women like you out there who are have found what works and are willing to pass it on because that's what we're doing in the cannabis industry. So unfortunately, we are all out of time. If people want to connect with you, Tori, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, Golden Teacher Tori on Instagram, TikTok every day, pretty much, or my podcast, Surviving Surviving HG, The Truth About Plant Medicine. And that'll all be in the show notes because that's what we do. And wow, that was a lot. Anyone listening, that was a lot. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you learned something. I hope you cried. I hope you laughed. It was all in 15 minutes with the Canon Mom Show. So thank you, Tori, Lissa, and of course, Yael. Uh, prayers and thoughts are with you. So that's another show for my guests and of course my cannabis David Yaz whatever what is your name Dave <laughs> who are you in our cannabis mom show either team way. whatever however he is um, in our cannabis mom show team I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the cannabis mom show where we're on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love kindness wisdom and hope thank you for listening thank you for sharing so that together we can crush that stigma around cannabis and caregivers I'm your host Joyce Gerber this is the Cannamom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed. And I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.